microphone check one two what is this you're now listening to a brand new episode of the play big faster podcast look what you done started talk to him. attorney high performance coach and speaker sheree prince asks hard questions to really get to the bottom of what makes entrepreneurs tick from starting a business marketing strategies and the ins and outs of their industries we talk everything from book recommendations lifestyle hacks and everything possible to get you inspired and motivated to build your own business the play big faster podcast starts now let's go Welcome to another edition of the Play Big Faster podcast. We are joined today by real estate guru, Brian Estes. How are you doing, Brian? I'm great. Great today. Awesome. Awesome. Look, thank you for joining us. We are so excited about having you here and just learning more about commercial real estate. Tell us what you do. Well, I guess in short, uh, I dabble in the uh, commercial and investment real estate market. Uh, I own uh, two property management companies, one being commercial, the other being multifamily. But by and large, I help uh, investors uh, who want to purchase real estate to build wealth. And uh, along the way, I also buy real estate, put group investments together for other investors. And so that's really kind of the market that I play. Well, Brian, did you just wake up one day and say, hey, I want to be in the real estate space? What, you know, how did you get here? Well, uh, my father did invest in single family residentials when I was younger, and um, I really did not like the real estate business when when I got into college and decided that I would major in accounting. And uh, and after I left uh, college, I went to work as an accountant for uh, LDDS WorldCom for uh, about two and a half, almost three years and realized that I was not a corporate person. And so uh, a friend of mine decided that we want to start buying houses ourselves and fixing them up and renting them out. And, and that's what we did. And, and I just uh, once I was doing it for myself, uh, I just really just just loved it. And so decided to quit my accounting job and uh, do real estate full time, which at the time I thought my, and my family thought I was crazy. But but I did, and um, and there were certainly some bumps in the road early on. But yeah, I, I, by the time I had gotten to about twenty nine years old, which was about five years, six years after college, uh, I mean, I had probably about sixty rental homes, and things just kind of spiraled from there, I guess, in terms of you know I got out of the housing, got into commercial, you know, started buying shopping centers and office buildings, and most people history in real estate, you know, usually start somewhere and end somewhere completely different. So. Well, look, let's talk about some of the bumps, because one thing that we do, sure. we try to just kind of inspire people. You know, everything is not rosy when you begin. But what are some of the mistakes that you made that you can maybe tell folks like, hey, definitely do not do this? Well, uh, number one, uh, I think, you know, there's always a, a gap between when you start real estate and when you actually start making a paycheck, right? So that's always one hurdle that you have to get over. But I think that's a hurdle almost on anything, right? I mean, if, if you want an immediate payout, your options become very limited. And when you can delay your gratification, then your options become many. So 
Um, but I would say a mistake a lot of people make is admitting that they don't know everything. And sometimes you just need help. Um, when I was remodeling homes, we try to do a lot of the work ourselves versus hire some of that work out. And all that did was, uh, uh, you know, we wound up taking so much longer to renovate these houses. And in the end, I'm not 100% sure we saved any money when you consider lost rent. Well, the one thing that you said now that you have two property management companies, and that requires a team. What are some of the things that you would share with someone about building a good team for your business in real estate? Well, uh, pick the right people. <laughs> That's always uh, the biggest uh, hurdle is, you know, picking the right people. Everybody wants to be in real estate. I mean, you know, it's, it's easy for me to go uh, to, you know, meetings and parties or whatever and start talking about real estate. Everybody wants to talk about real estate. The problem is, is real estate does require a certain amount of, of uh, discipline and dedication to getting things done. And so I talk to a lot of people who want to be in real estate, but when I bring them on or, or I partner with them or we decide we're going to do something, you know, I, I think uh, they realize that real estate is a lot harder than it seems on the surface. And it's sure as heck a lot harder than it seems when you watch a television show on how to flip houses or buy commercial and, I mean, you can jump on the Internet and there's a thousand courses on how to make a million dollars in real estate. And I, I think people realize that that sounds great, but real estate's a lot harder than it seems. And but for the people who will put their time in, it's definitely very rewarding. Now, one thing that you mentioned is that you actually have properties that you own and other properties that you manage for other people and put deals together. So kind of share with us, other than your accounting background, um, I believe there's like some professional designations that you may hold and the type of continuing education that you have to get to be to actually do what you do. Sure. Yeah, uh, I have uh, two designations. One of them is uh, CCIM, which stands for a Certified Commercial Investment Member. Uh, and then I have a CPM, which is a Certified Property Manager. So, yes, it, it's uh, they're very specific. You know, CCIM is more specific to commercial and or investment real estate. Um, not that they're not CCAMs out there that are specialists in land or tenant representation, but uh, my specialty is investment real estate, right? And then a uh, certified property manager is is something that uh, that's great. It, you have to have a certain amount of experience in managing property uh, before you can get that designation. So that has helped in our third party management world. And by what I mean by third party management world, those are projects that I don't own that I manage for other people. And so when you own a piece of real estate and you want to hire a professional property management company, designations go a long way. Yeah. Now, the CCIM is, is, is coveted. It's almost like a graduate degree in real estate, right? It really is. It, it's got some phenomenal education. Uh, it also has educational requirements, I mean, educational and experience requirements. So, you know, you have to show some level of experience where you've got to do 10 transactions or uh, I think that there's three different options, but the 10 transactions is kind of the minimal. Um, but it does come with some phenomenal education that teaches you about commercial real estate and how to underwrite deals. So, yeah, I mean, I have spent a lot of money on education probably in my career. And look, you haven't even mentioned just what being a part of the National Real Estate Association. Um, Absolutely. Right. So, I mean, those are just some other things that you're a part of. Now, Brian, you know, we've talked about what you do and how you do it. But let's talk about being real, well-rounded. 
what do you do just in your downtime as an entrepreneur and a business owner that kind of helps you stay level? That's a good question. Uh, there are times that I have to be very intentional about being well-rounded and, and having downtime because I think as, as an entrepreneur and as a business owner, I mean, I could wake up every day and get consumed with things that are going on in my professional world. And, uh, and I think that does consume me and probably a lot of other people uh, uh, as well. But I have to be very intentional. I, I think the best thing is that uh, yeah, I have three sons and uh, I was able to really, you know, wrap myself into a lot of their sports activities and things that they want to do. And so that was, you know, love my kids, love being around them. And, and that really is probably the biggest driving force for things outside of my professional life. So, um, and I do have a few hobbies. I, I'm not much of a golfer. I will go golf, but uh, uh, I like to scuba dive, but that takes some, uh, you know, actually have to travel, right, somewhere to go scuba dive. So, so yeah, so uh, when I really want some downtime, I just try to spend it with family as much as I can. Awesome. Look, I'm going to share something that another entrepreneur shared with me. He told me to plan my fun first, and it just changed my life. I started putting everything that was important to me and the family on the calendar first, and I just had to put everything else around it. So I'm going to share that with you and pass it on. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Schedule your fun first. So I've heard that. So. Yeah. so you mentioned that, you know, you had, you got some inspiration from your dad. Where did you grow up at? I grew up in South Jackson. I went to Wingfield High School, uh, oh. People's Junior High. So yeah, it, it Grew up down there. It was a lot of fun. So, so, But the great thing about real estate, you're able to do transactions anywhere across the country uh, with your CCIM and your experience, right? Correct. Yes. You know, and, I, and I'm licensed in Louisiana, uh, Tennessee, Alabama, and the Panhandle, well, Florida, but I work just pretty much in the Panhandle, Florida. But, uh, but yeah, I can do deals across the country so long as there's a co-op you know, ability to do it and We've done deals as far as Texas and uh, Arkansas. We've done a few things in North Carolina. I would say most 99% of what we do is probably within Mississippi and Alabama. A couple of things that you mentioned early in your career, you get single family homes. You also mentioned that you've done shopping centers, multifamily and commercial. What do you enjoy the most today? You know, um, Gosh, I have done it all. And I, I, I always tell people the most fun I've had doing any type of real estate projects was flipping houses. I, I'll be honest with that. It was a different time. I didn't have kids. I was married, didn't have kids, didn't have a lot of responsibility outside of my marriage and household. But yeah, I, I enjoy I don't know if I would enjoy that today with all the other things I have going on. Um, I, I would say my 53 year old self probably enjoys the small shopping centers is the most fun to me because, you know, uh, they seem to be a little less active, a little more passive uh, with tenants and maintenance problems and that sort of thing uh, than multifamily or single family. Uh, but, uh, but there's no doubt when I look backwards, I probably had the most fun waking up every day, flipping houses and running my crews and that sort of thing. I, I, like I said, I wouldn't want to do that today, but when I was in my late 20s doing it, it was a lot of fun. So for the shopping centers, now, is that relating to managing those or purchasing those? Uh, both. Yeah, I love the acquisition side of this business. That's probably, you know, what I enjoy the most. And 
and probably where my unique ability serves uh, is helping people underwrite properties, uh, determining what we need to pay for, looking, you know, five years out, creating a budget, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what the rental rates should be, what they are, you know, are they under market rates or there may be some that are over market rates. So those are just some of the things that you have to consider when you buy commercial that maybe you don't have to consider when you buy a smaller residential. So if I were someone that was new to real estate, I have a totally blank slate and I saw what you were doing and said, okay, I want to get into commercial real estate. Where would you advise me to start? Well, first and foremost, I I would say start somewhere, right? I mean, even if it's not ideal, you got to start somewhere. Um, But I would probably say start in office leasing. Uh, always try to tell residential agents they want to make the, if, if you, if you have zero experience, then it's still probably would start an office leasing because it's a little easier to understand. Uh, the, the deals can be quicker, you know, uh, where investment sales deals. I mean, I may go four months without a sale, you know, then I may have three in two months. So it just, uh, you know, if I sell five deals in a year, uh, you know, larger deals. That's great. If I sell two, then it's still not bad. But where someone that does office leasing or small office sales, they may have 25, 30 transactions a year. Well, you know, it's, it's easier to gauge how your year is going to go when you're doing that. And when you're young and you're starting out or you're, I mean, you could be middle age and starting in real estate and you still need to make income. I would say start in that small office leasing and small office sales because there's just a number of transactions that will happen and at least you can make some money and you're not, you're not, you know, hitching your wagon to two or three or four deals a year that may or may not happen. Right. And that, that's such an important point because, you know, for some people that start out in this totally commission based feast or famine. It is. Yeah. If you don't have that, that background. So that's really good to know. Um, And even on the transaction side, because I think, you know, when you're starting something new, Sometimes you see the shine, but you don't know what it took, you know, to get yep. there. So good. That's good stuff. Yeah. And I want to add one more thing to that is is find a company that has a management division, because the, the thing that's hardest to find is a good quality leasing agent to, to lease the portfolio that you're managing. Uh, I mean, everybody wants to be a leasing agent, right? And then when they get in there, they want to do a lot of other things. And then they kind of ignore the portfolio that needs to have the leasing done. So um, so if someone's really trying to break into real estate and they really can't find someone who will really bring them on or put their license under theirs, I'd find someone that has a real need to lease the current projects that they manage because there's there's more of a gap there than people think. But the mentorship is the part I'm getting to that's really important. A lot of people may want to jump out and say, I'm going to be a real estate broker. I'm going to do this. But it's really important to actually get the mentorship is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a lot of value there. And I always tell people that try to get in the real estate business. I think too many people get caught up on the splits. Well, you know, like, well, this person's offering me 60% split and this one's 65 or this one's 50 or this one's 70. And, you know, I always say, look, what value does the office bring you? I mean, maybe the one that's offering you a little lower split has a better training program, or maybe they're going to give you company provided listings, or maybe they're going to, I mean, at the end of the day, it's really about the dollar amount that you make. What difference does it make, whether it comes with a 60% split or a 70% split or a 50? I mean, look, you can go to 
10 different offices and you could probably hear 10 different split, you know, to the agent. So I always tell people, look for the value that the company brings, not the level of splits. So. So, Brian, we've heard all, all the great stuff, the career, how you got here. Let's talk about um, things that could possibly go wrong in a transaction. So, you know, you're in commercial real estate. I know you probably have some examples you want to share with us. You know, um, financing doesn't seem to be, hasn't seemed to be a problem over the last four or five years. But uh, I do think that we're starting to see some hurdles there. Not that the banks are necessarily tightening up. Uh, although I think that they might be, but interest rate increases have kind of put some pressure on some deals. So I do think that, that those are some hurdles that I think some people are, are going to start seeing more of going into the immediate future. Um, gosh, I remember when I got in this business, financing was a lot harder to get than it is today. And sometimes you went into deals and you just never knew what was going to happen. But that's one. Um Due diligence, you know, and this is not specific to commercial real estate, but I think due diligence is sometimes I think we sign contracts and we just cross our fingers for the next 30 to 60 days and hope that the buyer doesn't find everything about the property. And I think good commercial agents get very proactive and they start addressing issues early and how to get around them and what does this mean? And even though I may not represent the buyer um, in certain deals, I still help facilitate due diligence when I can uh, to try to get the buyer over some of the hurdles that, would, that that exist. You know, I don't give them advice because that'd be against the law, but I certainly try to uh, uh, accomplish some of the due diligence goals that they have because it, it, I mean, if the transaction happens and everybody wins. So I think that that's one area that, uh, that, that the hurdles typically or, you know, who knows? There's different there's different scenarios of what they find during due diligence. And I think as brokers and agents, we just got to get a little bit better about being proactive and what the issues are and trying to help uh, get over some of those hurdles. Well, the, the unique thing about you is that you've been on both sides as a buyer and as a broker. So if I were someone who was looking to be a buyer of, of commercial real estate, what do I need to start packaging to take to the bank to make me more attractive to purchase commercial property? Sure. I think the first thing I would do is try to decide on what type of properties that you want to buy. And um, and you don't have to be so specific that you want to buy, you know, C-class shopping centers and B areas. And you don't have to get that specific. But I mean, you can always start calling bankers and creating relationships and ask them to lunch or and just say, look, I, you know, I want to start buying small shopping centers and small office buildings from five hundred thousand to a million dollars. And that's kind of my range and would love to talk to you about what's necessary to get this process started once I find a deal. And I think a good banker, the first thing they're going to ask you to do is, well, let me, you know, first of all, let me tell you what our typical loan terms are. Right. It's going to be 15 year amortization or 20 year amortization with this interest rate and this is going to be 20% down, right? You're going to have to bring 20% in equity. And it may be helpful to go ahead and get a banker to pull your credit and, and make sure that you're kind of somewhat pre-qualified. Uh, and that way, at that point, all the bank has to do when you find a property and put it on a contract is that then at that point, it's really about underwriting the property at that point and not necessarily underwriting you as the buyer. 
And so that's a very good distinction because usually if I'm just looking to purchase a, purchase a single family home, um, a lot of what the bank is looking at is my credit worthiness. But can you just kind of differentiate, differentiate for us um, the income producing power of a commercial piece of property and how that's different than just being looking at me individually and my credit worthiness for single family stuff? Sure. Yeah. And, and yeah, when you're buying commercial property, obviously the, the commercial bill is going to have to stand on its own, right? I mean, it's going to, it's going to have tenants. It's going to have expenses, right? You're going to have income from the tenants. You're going to have expenses of the property. Being able to either work with a broker or, or at least have a general understanding of how to underwrite property. So you can give some type of what we call a pro forma to the bank. All a pro forma is, is, is a projection of the next 12 months of income and expenses. And uh, going back to the CCIM education, that's a lot of what you learn in that education. And that's a lot of what you learn. A lot of that you still learn in the CPM uh, certification courses as well. And by the way, I probably did a, a poor job. CPM is a certified property manager. It's part of IRAM, which is the Institute of Real Estate Management. And so they have a lot of great courses, too. And, and a lot of these associations, just like National Association of Realtors, has a lot of great courses as well. They teach you how to underwrite investment real estate. So what you'll want to do is you'll want to be able to put a pro forma together for that shopping center or for that office building. And you'll want to and, and yes, your bank's going to look at that and they're going to make a lot of uh, they're going to make, determine whether or not they'll make a loan off that property based off its cash flow. So it's not just about the borrower. It will be about the property as well. And can that property support an 80% loan on the property? And there are a lot of properties sometimes that can't. You'd be surprised. So. Now, Brian, this is some good stuff. I mean, I really, it's some very valuable information. Now, we kind of looked at it from a broker side, from a buyer side, but let's say that I'm a seller um, and I have a multifamily unit that I'm looking to dispose of. What do I need to be doing in terms of vacancy rates to make that attractive to a would-be buyer? Sure. Um, I always tell our multifamily clients, because uh, we've sold quite a bit of multifamily, we're representing buyers today more than we're representing sellers, but it is still a seller's market for multifamily right now. Uh, but we always encourage our sellers to, number one, just take care of some deferred maintenance. Um, and shore up your rent roll, meaning that, you know, don't try to leave a lot of month-to-month tenants. Try to put all of your tenants in at least a six-month lease, if not a one-year lease. We, we do a lot of six-month leases in our management division, so it's not terrible. But, but I always tell people, get everybody in a lease. Try to get as close to market rate as you can. Uh, you know, there's inevitably, when you look at a rent roll for a multifamily property, you know, you always, you can tell the new move-ins versus the people who've been there for five years, because there is a usually a rent disparity. I mean, you could tell that the new tenants have moved in might be paying nine hundred dollars a month. The people who've been there forever might be paying seven fifty to, to eight hundred. And so, always to try to encourage. You know, I don't never an advocate for running people off, and I would never encourage that. But you know, but trying to give the best counsel to my sellers as I can. You know, you want to try to get everybody as close to market as you can. Because a buyer is going to come in and they're going to make an offer on your property based on the amount of income that that property receives. And so, but uh, but I also encourage my multifamily sellers to try to take care of some of the deferred maintenance if you can too. Buyers, 
really like, they like a little value add. In other words, the buyers like a property well occupied, but they want some meat on the bone. So, um, you know, so the more you can do for a buyer, the better off you are, but you still want to leave some room for improvement to the buyer. It seems to be what most buyers are looking for. So if you've got an occupancy of 92%, and the only reason why you can't hit 97% occupancy is because there's still some units that need renovation. That's like a perfect scenario for a buyer. So. And look, and that was my next question in terms of occupancy rates. But you, you've given us that. Well, this, yeah. that is awesome. Now, well, in all occupancy rates, they change, and it's market to market too. I mean, I, I I'm still just shocked at number of properties that we're seeing that have been no less than 100% occupied for six months. It just it shocks me, and I think it goes more to say that there is there's no doubt that there is a shortage of workforce housing. Uh, and, I, and you can tell with the occupancies of a lot of these apartment complexes. Well, Brian, look, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to share with us about um, commercial real estate? Well, I would just say, you know, again, I'm always asked by the question that you asked early on, and that's how do you get started? And and I know it sounds so cliche about just get started somewhere. And, and I can't tell you how many people that I see been in real estate for 10 years and we'll have a conversation. And they always say, I wish I had figured out how to get in this business sooner. And because it's not an, it's an easy business to go just get a license and go to a, a large shop and, and put your license underneath someone. It's easy to do that, but it's a lot harder to actually get involved with a company that can give you some listings and give you some mentorship. So it's a little harder to find that part of the business. And so I would, I would take, no less than five people to lunch or dinner or whatever. And if you're trying to get started, just ask, ask for a 20 minute phone conversation, ask for a lunch, ask anybody that you can get in front of for 10 minutes. I do it. And because a lot of times those conversations lead to somebody, another conversation with somebody else. There are a lot of people I meet with that I finally say, look, have you talked to this person or this person? They say, well, no, I haven't. Well, let me make an email introduction for you so you can get your foot in the door. And that happens a lot of times. And, and this is a relationship business. And if you're going to be in real estate, even if you're new and trying to break in, then you better start the rela- relationship business right away and, and call people. So. Okay. Well, look, thank you so much. And this has been another edition of the Play Big Faster podcast. Till next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Want more entrepreneurial content? I like this. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes. Already subscribed. I just clicked on it. Don't forget to like and leave a review. Share with a friend that needs this in their life. I think you need this more than I. Oh, and make sure to follow Cherie on IG at Cherie Speaks. And remember to play big faster.